The challenge was how to inform the relatives whether their loved one was one among the dead or among the living. Without news reporters or cell phones or Instagram, the information was slow in coming. At the White Star Line office in Liverpool, England, a huge board was set up. On one side was a cardboard heading that read, known to be saved. And on the other side of the board was the heading, known to be lost. Although the travelers on the Titanic were either considered first class, second class, or third class passengers, after the ship went down, there were only two categories, the saved and the lost. Folks, the old ship went down there with only two categories. And this old ship of earth, which is hurling through space at 67,000 miles an hour, reminds us that the earth is effectively hurling towards its final destination. And every passenger on this planet will belong to one of those two categories. It won't matter how nice your, your room was. It won't matter how much luggage you had. It won't matter if you rode first class, third class, or mopped the kitchen floor on your hands and knees or ate in the dining hall with the rest of the VIPs. What will matter to every human being is simply this. In which column is your name written? Known to be lost or known to be saved? The Apostle Paul refers to the same two categories here in our text today. And Paul is talking to us about taking uh, and us into the roll call for immortality. And we could rewrite our two categories today this way. Those who belong to planet Earth and those who belong to heaven. One of the most wonderful things about being an American, after just celebrating the 4th of July, you know, it is amazing to be in this country. One of the most amazing factors about being an American is that you don't have to be born here to become a citizen of America. It's the same with heaven. You don't have to be born there to be going there. You know, when we think about heaven, you know, the truth is that perhaps every one of us in this room would say, oh yes, that's exactly where I want to go. But the sad news is that perhaps maybe not everyone in this room is going there. Now, we aren't always citizens of heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. But now in Christ Jesus, who was once afar off, who has brought you near through the blood of Jesus Christ, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's holy household. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, 
Every person in this world has an opportunity to become a citizen of heaven. Every one of us is given an opportunity to change our destination. But let me just remind you that we cannot wait until we get there to determine where we want to go. We must determine that now while we're living here. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been brought near and we have become citizens of heaven. We have been given a new home and as a result, we are no longer feel comfortable in this earth. I don't know about you, but I think of that song that Scott Parsons wrote beautifully. And every time that Amy sings it for me at a funeral, it just reminds me. I have a longing for a home, for a place, for a land, for a city that I've never been before. And I guess the more that I see death, Chapter 4, verse 3. 
And you say, well, preacher, you didn't read that. But that's okay. Just follow along with me. Jump down there with me. If you wouldn't look at what the Apostle Paul says. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellows, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, which with, with Clement, Clement and, and also in those which fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. I want you to understand that your name is or can be written in the book. The first characteristic of our heavenly home is the fact that our name has been written in the heaven's book. Now, I don't know about you, but that's something that excites me. It's something that, that reminds me that my name, my name has been written down in, in the oracles of heaven. My name is going to be called by God. He's not just going to say, come, all that want to come. He's going to call us by name. He knows my name. He knows enough about me that he wrote my name in his book that day when I bowed my heart before him and received him as my Savior. And oh, I want you to understand that I haven't always done it right. I didn't always live faithfully and I didn't always do what I needed to do, but he has been faithful and he's kept my name. You see, the Bible tells us that our name is written in the book of life, and that is something to be excited about. But not everyone's name is written in heaven. Did you know because you and I are citizens that in some city or some county, your name is written in a book? I think about it, my name is written in a, in a book in New York State. My name is written down as, as being born into this country, into this county, into this place. And you know what? I, I can go back to my hometown and I can go to the town clerk and I can say, I need a copy of my birth certificate that says that I was born into this world. I was born into this town. I was born into this state. I was born into this county. And she can pull it up and make me a you know, I've had to do that a time or two when I got a passport and other things that I needed. I needed a copy of it. But you know what? Every now and again, it's so cool just to get it out and look at it and say, you know what? There's evidence that I'm here. Yeah, you say, well, there's evidence. We know you're here. <laughs> now, the amazing thing about it is I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to earn it. I was born into it. You see, the reality is that, that I, I didn't have to do some special thing to become a citizen of the United States. I didn't have to do a, a, some special feat to become a, a part of St. Lawrence County in New York State. All I had to do was be born into it. I want you to understand that in order to get your name into heaven's book, you don't have to do anything special. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. All you have to do is be born into it. You see, the Bible says that when we are born again, God writes our name in that He gives to us a birth certificate. You know, when I have folks that I share the gospel with and they come to know the Lord Jesus, I give them a little book and I, I just gave a couple of uh, that book this morning and in there, in the first page of that book or uh, right about there is a little spiritual birth certificate. 
And the importance of that is to remind them, just as you received one when you were born into this world, God said that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have a spiritual birth certificate. What a great opportunity for us to understand. Our name has been written in heaven's book. You don't have to work for my citizenship in heaven. I was born into it. It's a free gift. But I wanted to show that video this morning, that birdcage video, to remind you that it may be free to us. But it costs somebody everything. It costs Jesus his life. You see, the Bible tells us that God paid the ultimate price. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus so loved us that he stretched out his arms and he died for us. You see, he was willing to pay with his tears. He was willing to pay with his hurt. He was willing to pay with his life. And the fact that our names are written in heavens is a cause for rejoicing. As a matter of fact, if we look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 to his disciples who were returning from a mission trip, they were so excited. They had seen some amazing things, and they come back and they said, Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17, they said, Jesus, Lord, uh, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus looked at him and replied, and he said, Do not rejoice in the fact that the Spirit submitted to you, but better still, rejoice in the fact that your name has been written in heaven. You see, the reality is that we need to understand that, that God has given to us the joy of knowing that our name has been written in heaven. The word written in that tense in the Greek actually can be translated it this way. It is once for all written and stands forever. Jesus makes the following promise to the church of Sardis in Revelation. When he said unto them, He who is the overcomer, I will blot, or never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before the Father and before the angels. God promises that once our name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, nothing will erase it. If you're a citizen of heaven this morning, then your name has been written in heaven's book. You belong to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and your name will never be blotted out of that book. And for that cause, we should rejoice. Praise the Lord, my name has been written in his book. The first characteristic of, uh, of a citizen of heaven is knowing that we have a stake in heaven. Our name has been written there. The second characteristic of heaven is that your life is to be governed from another country. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul reminds us about the second characteristic, is that your behavior is governed by heaven's laws. Paul is reminding us that as citizens of another country, we are ambassadors while living here. A good ambassador, we should always be able to say like the Apostle Paul. Look at what he said in verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brethren, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we have given you. We've all heard the old saying such as, when we're off in another place, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. 
But I've got another statement for you. A different one. One that comes from heaven and not from earth. When on earth, do not do as the earthlings do. Heaven runs by a different set of rules. There are a few of them that I want to remind you of because the Bible reminds us that heaven is different than this earth. The Bible tells us that that heaven's rules are love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others what you would have them to do unto you. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The greatest among you must become servants of all. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. And so on and so on. Here in verse 17, Paul relates the importance of our behavior to our citizenship in heaven. Paul reminds us that we are to follow him. He says, follow me, do as I do, live like I live. How could he say such a thing? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said something like this. Be followers of me, even as also I am of Christ. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is saying, follow my example, only insofar as I am following Christ. Now listen, I want to warn you that we want to be careful that we don't just follow anybody. We want to be careful that we're not just following this one or that one. We want to make sure that we're following those who are following Christ. We want to make sure that the example that we're following is one that comes from this word, not from this world. You see, the Bible tells us that Paul said this because he was following the example and not the world. Paul says, take note of those who also follow this way, who live in accordance to the pattern that we gave you. Now the word pattern is a special word here for that it means an impression or mark made by a blow. It was used to refer to the impression or figure made by a seal or a die. Do you see the challenge here? As citizens of heaven, our behavior is to leave a mark on other people. Actually, the truth be known, we always leave a mark. All the time, everything that we do leaves a mark on someone. The question is not whether or not we're leaving a mark. The question is, is our mark worth leaving? We're always setting an example or forming an impression on other people. The only question is whether we're leaving a bad mark or a good mark. Paul knew that his life was going to leave a mark one way or another. And that's why he strove to set the right example. And he encouraged others to do the same as well. We all know that we learn for better or for worse, from those around us. Parents, we all know that we can't tell our children, do as I say, not as I do. I grew up with that model. 
My dad would say that to us all the time. Don't do what I do, do as I say. But I can assure you that I did what he did far more than I did what he said. You see, the reality is that we all learn good or bad from those that are living around us. How that we're behaving leaves an impression upon those that are influenced by us. Paul knew this, and he encouraged us to make sure that the life in which we were living was the right life. The question that we need to ask today is, are we good ambassadors for heaven above? Are we abiding by heaven's laws or following the ways of the earth? Would you, like the Apostle Paul, be willing to say, come follow me as I follow Christ? Boy, that challenges my spirit. Well, I, I don't know that I would honestly want to say that, boy, I broadcast that. But we should be able to. We should be able to walk the walk and talk the talk and be able to say to the world around us, come follow me, for I will always lead you in the way of the cross. Follow me as I follow Christ. As good ambassadors for heaven, our life should be that which makes a difference in this world. The third characteristic is where I really want to hang my hat this morning. It's the place where I want to spend a little time. It's the place where the Apostle Paul is moved in his heart. The third characteristic is that your heart is focused on the lost around you. In verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul shares with us his inner feelings about the world, about those that he sees. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was at one point in his life made a statement, another profound statement, that said, if it were humanly possible, I would give up my salvation if my fellow kinsmen would all come to know Christ. tells you that Paul was willing to put himself on the line to spend eternity separated from God so that his kinsmen, the Jews, would all come to know Christ. I wonder how many of us, how many of us really have a passion, a desire for those that are lost around us? How many of us are, are focused on, on the lostness of the world around us. Did you know, and I, I've said it many, many times, but did you know that statistically here in our own county that 60% of the people in Ash County do not attend church anywhere? 60% tells us that there is a great lostness around us. How concerned are you? about those that have not had their name written in the book of life. In verses 18 and 19, we begin with the fact that Paul weeps as he writes these words. 
His tears stain the page as he writes. Why? Because there are so many who think that they are okay with Christ, but yet live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's so many today. So many today that if you were to go out and do a survey this afternoon, walk through Walmart and ask how many people thought they were going to heaven, how many people thought they were we're, we're right with God. How many people think they're an enemy of God? The truth of the matter is that many of them that you talk to would tell you, I think I'm going, I hope I'm going, I, I, I want to go. Oh, I think I'm doing okay with, with my relationship with God. I may not have been in church. I may not have been, I, I, I may not do all that's right. I may not do. You ask them, are you an enemy of the cross? Oh, no, oh, no. I, I don't think I'm an enemy of God. I don't, I don't think that, that, that God and I are on two different sides. You see, the reality of the world is that they think they're walking rightly before the Lord. And so many of them, so many of them are enemies of the cross, Paul says. But I wonder if we understand what that means to be an enemy of the cross. The cross, we oftentimes wear it around our neck as a symbol of our faith. It is the central fact to all Christianity. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the death of the cross, there is no redemption. It's absolutely essential. Without the cross, we cannot have Christianity. We cannot have discipleship. We cannot have salvation. Indeed, without the cross, we have no Savior. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 14, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Warren Wiersbe writes that the cross of Jesus Christ is the theme of the entire Bible, the heart of the gospel, the chief source of praise in heaven. Why would anyone oppose the cross? There are many reasons. Starting with because it cuts across the grain of all that we value here on earth. The cross lays to waste all of the achievements, merits, and pride of life. The cross reveals to us the depth of our depravity. The fact that God had to die on a cross because of the depth of our sin. The cross proclaims this is how far God had to go in order to save you and me. The cross stands for sacrifice, suffering, rejection. Throughout his ministry with his disciples, Jesus constantly reminded his disciples that I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And as the cross became closer and closer, Jesus reminded them over and over again, like he did in Mark 8.31, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by man. The servant is not above the master. So if we're going to follow the, 
the things that Christ did for us on the cross, every one of us must be willing to suffer, to sacrifice, to face rejection. We too must be willing to follow in the footsteps of the cross. In verse 19, Paul gives us four parts evaluation of of what it means to be an enemy of the cross. And I wanted to give you this. I I really thought about cutting it out, but I really wanted to stay here today, and, and I wanted to focus on this because I think that it's so important for us to see what lostness really means. What we need to have so that we might have the passion that God had for us. The very first thing that we see is that Paul tells us in verse 19 is their condemnation is settled. Notice what he says there in verse 19, whose end is destruction. Jesus himself said there are two ways in which we can live and work and serve in this world. Two roads in which we can travel. He says there, there, there is the wide road, the, the one that is, is, is easy to get on. It's the one that many there are that follow it, but it leads to destruction. And of course, he reminds us there's the narrow road that, that, that leads to righteousness, but few there are that follow it. Paul wanted to remind us that their destruction was at end. Other passages call it uh, uh, death or judgment. In fact, the word death doesn't mean to cease to exist. But it simply means to be separated at death. The material physical part of our, our, our life is separated from that immaterial spiritual part of who you are. The Bible reminds us that Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul reminds us that that the moment that we take our last breath, that our spirit that once was within us leaves our physical realm and goes to be with the Lord. When you die, the shell of your physical body is separated from that which you truly are. Your body dies, but your soul is, is beginning to live in the eternal state. The Bible actually, actually talks about two deaths. A physical death, and then a second death. In fact, according to the scripture, it explains it this way. If you only are born once, physically you're going to experience two deaths. But if you are born twice, you will only experience one death. The Bible reminds us that our spiritual birth guarantees that our, our, our physical death will be the only death that we will suffer. Following the final judgment, for those who are only born once, that comes the second death, that spirit, an eternal separation from God. Paul was so overwhelmed by this reality the gravity of such an eternal, unremitting, never-ending existence, that it broke his heart and tears began to flow down his face to his writing these words. Later, Dante, 
described it well in the medieval uh, times in his poem where he imagined it written above the gates of hell these words, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. The question is not, does a person cease to exist? The question is, where will that person exist for eternity? And that question brought tears streaming down the Apostle Paul's face as he thought about their destination was already determined. But listen, let me give you hope today. That does not have to be for you. There is hope still. There is time yet. But the Bible reminds us today is the day of salvation and we are still breathing. Therefore, we still have an opportunity to change our destination. Do not let that be your final destination. The second thing that he says is that their cravings are sensual. Writing further in verse 19, he says, whose God is their appetite. Paul does this metaphorically to refer to their unrestrained, sensual, physical, uh, forbidden desires. One author wrote that Paul is effectively saying that the unbelievers' lives are no higher authority than that dictated by their bodily appetites. They worship their appetites, their desires of this flesh. I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul says, for you and I as believers, we crucify our flesh daily so that it's not I that live my appetites, my desires, my will, but thy will is lived out in me. See, the Apostle Paul reminds us that before Christ, I had to live according to the appetites of my flesh. When I became a Christian, Christ moved into me and I'm able to crucify because the chains of my sin have been broken and I've been set free to make a decision to follow Him or to reject my flesh or to follow my flesh and reject Him. Every day, every hour of every day, I get to make that decision and so don't you. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that these people were locked into the appetites of their flesh. The point Paul is making is that whatever the appetite is, it is the lordship over them, and they're worshiping it. And we all know that's true. That anything someone is pursuing in defiance to God is their God. To quote a lyric from a generation ago, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Because it is. Whenever it goes against the Word of God, it can feel as right as it wants. It's still wrong. The world is running after the gods of, this, of their own satisfaction, and the tragedy uh, is that it is too late. If they have chosen the unsatisfying gods, and before they know it, their lives have wasted away. As Paul considered the self-destructing, empty lives of the unbelievers, Tears cascaded down his cheek. And then the third thing that he notices is that their condemnations are shameful. Paul is saying that the world finds its greatest glory in that which is shameful. 
You know, we don't hear that word used much anymore. You know, we don't hear that phrase, boy, that's shameful. Let me remind you that the world is haunting our sexuality today. They divide their God-given gender. They're jumping from bed to bed. They abort their innocent babies because it's out of convenience. They race after the ambitions of this world and forget the world to come. They openly pursue every pleasure of life under the motto, we only live once. Paul writes, they exalt, they glory in practice and habits and desires of which they should be ashamed but are not. But it doesn't stop there. They're not just unashamed about the way they're living their life. And listen, we see it today in our world. We can't turn on the news and and not hear it. We can't turn on a television show and have it not flaunt us before us. It doesn't stop there. Paul is saying that that they not only uh, are, are achieving and arriving at the most extreme forms of wickedness, they're not only proud of their worst perversions, but they also applaud others who do it with them. They proclaim that, yea, for you, for living that way. The fourth thing that he says about the lostness that broke his heart was they captivated, their captivations are short-sighted. Notice once again in verse 19, he says, they set their minds on earthly things. Can I remind you that everything that you possess in this world today is going to be gone someday? Everything. The house you live in, the car you drive, the money you own, the the clothes you wear, everything that you have one day is going to be gone. Everything about this world is temporal. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that one day this whole earth will be gone. And then you'll build a new one. Everything is temporal. How tragically short-minded that is. Listen to me, 30, 40, 50, 70, 100 years on this earth with all the silver, gold, and everything that you can get will not compensate for one moment of eternity separated from God. Not one moment. Jesus said it best in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? That which lives for eternity. With tears streaming down Paul's cheek, Paul effectively informs the church in Philippi that those unbelievers seek earthly things over heavenly things. And the earth will be the closest thing to heaven that they will ever experience. But it doesn't have to be for you. I'm telling you that heaven is waiting for you. Heaven can be yours. Jesus made the way. In John chapter 14, verse 
3, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He reminds us that, that he's gone to make a way and a home for us. All we have to do is receive him. There was tears streaming down his eyes. He says, will you make that way? Will you come that way? The last characteristic of those whose name is written in heaven is found in verses 21, 20 and 21. Your eyes are watching for his return. I hope that you're not looking at the things of this world and wondering how many more years do I got that I can enjoy. But I hope that you're looking towards the heavens and saying, come Lord Jesus. Let my life be found faithful. Let my life be found in you when you come. I'm looking forward to the coming of the Lord. True citizens of heaven are watching for Christ's return. Scripture exhorts us to watch, pray, and be ready eagerly to accept and wait and look for the return of our Savior. The Scriptures also tell us that not all will be ready. There are several accounts throughout the Scripture that remind us that there are those that will be caught unaware. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, we read these words, and, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and they then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There's coming a day when Jesus will come and, and the, the kingdoms of this world won't be ready. But will you? My heart's desire is that none of you miss the fact that God loves you. That he died for you. And that he's made a place for you. My heart's desire is to make sure that I take as many with me as I can. Verse 21 tells us that our bodies will be changed. I'm looking forward to the fact that no more limitations, no more physical pain, no more tiredness, no more weariness, no more struggles. He reminds us that we will be transformed, our lowly bodies, so that we will be like him in a glorified body. Our bodies will be glorified like Christ. All the aches, the pains we experience in this present body will be removed. And we will be with the Lord forever. No wonder. He tells us, keep your eye on the prize. The prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. The prize that heaven is your home. The prize that he's coming for you. The prize that, that you and I know. Our name has been written in the Lamb's book of life and nothing in this world can blot it out. Jesus has promised. And what Jesus promises, he keeps. So let me close with this. Are you one of those known as lost? 
Are you one of those known as at the end of this life, at the end of your life, at the end of my life, the only category that's going to matter is that I'm known as one who was saved. One who knows my name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm waiting for him to call a roll. Let me tell you, there's nothing, nothing in this life holding me back. I see his future coming, and I'm ready for him. The only thing that will matter when this ship of our human history ends is whether your name is written in the registry of earth or your name has been written in the registry of heaven. The tears in my eyes. As the Apostle Paul, I ask, will you allow God to write your name in his book? Where's your citizenship? I'm a citizen of heaven. And by God's grace, I want to be a good one. And I want to be a good example for you. To say, heaven is my home. And it can be yours as well. Through Jesus Christ. Our Savior. Amen. How about you? As Tammy comes to the piano this morning, I want to pray for us. And just ask you to search your heart. And folks, listen, if you're here today and you say, well, preacher, I know my citizenship is in heaven and I'm excited about it and I long for it, but what about that person who you work beside? What about that person who you live beside? What about that person that you met at the gas station? What about those folks that are wandering through Walmart? Where are they going? Do you care? what their destiny is? Paul did. I do. And I think you should. So maybe today we not don't need to pray about our salvation. Maybe we need to pray for their salvation. Maybe we need to say, Lord, let me leave a mark on them that will show them Christ in me. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to speak about heaven and the fact that, Lord, my citizenship is there and, Lord, I know there are many that are not. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, may they come to know you. May they ask, dear Lord, forgive me of my sins that my heart might be your heart, that I might receive the eternal reward having my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, maybe there are those here today that have loved ones that are lost. And Lord, we want to pray, Lord, reach into their heart. 
Lord, don't let them walk through this wicked world without your help, without your help. Oh, Father.